0: Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And we are back with another Spy Master interview, perhaps one of the biggest we've ever had. Cam, who do we have joining us this week?
1: Yes, we are being joined by the Living Daylights star Miriam Dabo, who played Kara in that very memorable James Bond film, The First for Timothy Dalton.
0: Yeah, I mean at time of recording both of the Dalton films have just screened in UK cinemas. People are talking all about these films. The love is growing for the Dalton era. So I couldn't think of a more perfect time to share our interview with you than you know as part of this resurgence of Dalton love and also part of our celebration for our 100th episode. So I think Cam without further ado, roll the interview. And joining us now it is yeah. Mariam Darbo. Hello Mariam.
2: Hello, how are you?
1: Doing great. We're really excited to have you on the show. Nice we're both big fans of Living Daylights.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's a lot. Well, you, you saw it before you uh, before you were born.
1: <laughs> I was born. I would have been about seven when it came out. So
2: Yeah, okay. Yeah, 1987 when it came out. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So gosh, so, such a long time ago. Well, I,
0: I think we'll yeah, um we'll just uh... get straight straight down to how you got started, I wonder how you got started in acting necessarily before we get to the Bond part and maybe what led to Bond. So what were some of your first roles you had and what led you to Bond?
2: Uh, I started acting in 1981. Um, I'm bilingual because I grew up all my life in France. So I did theatre in France. I did uh, two plays and one TV movie in France. Um, One of the plays you will know because it's been played all over the world. It's Cyrano de Bergerac playing Roxanne. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I did a French TV movie there, and then another play. And then I was uh, involved in uh, doing mini series in 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 England uh, 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 in the eighties. Lots of mini series that were being done and that were being shot at Pinewood Studios when it wasn't on location. Um, and um, one of them was about the OSS organization. Um uh, which was a lot of American t- uh, TV series and mini series that were American that were coming to London at the time. Um so a lot of British actors were working uh in those mini series. And um the Bond movie happened in 1986. I actually I had seen John Glenn for one of the Roger Moore ones, um, which was Fiona Fullerton who played the girl who's in the bathtub and um, uh, I just I didn't even audition I think I just saw John for the part but I just didn't feel quite right Um, and then in 1986 cut to when Roger Moore's finished um, a few years later not doing it anymore They were looking for a new Bond, and uh, I did a screen test at Pinewood Studios in the spring of 1986 to do the lines for one of the actors who was uh, auditioning for Bond. And uh, the whole crew were there uh, at Pinewood. Kelly Broccoli, John Glenn was uh, was, uh, back uh, directing um, the new Bond films with a new actor. And um, I um, just did a a, a screen test from Russia with Love, with this actor who was up for Bond. And that was it. And it was a very nice day. And I was paid for the day doing the screen test. And I went off to Germany to start a movie uh, from a Nabokov novel, Laughter in the Dark. Um, And I was playing with Maximin Schell and Mick Jagger at that point was attached. We did about three weeks shooting in Munich. um, And then the film, it was in June of 1986, and the film collapsed. There was a problem with the money uh, rolling in. And the director who was directing this feature film, uh, Laughter in the Dark, um, edited the three weeks that we'd done and uh, like a little 20 minute short and sent it to studios in America. And one of the studios was United Artists. And they were casting their actress for um, the next Bond movie, um, which was uh, a Czechoslovakian character, a cellist, Karamilovi. And um, they hadn't found her. And I came back to London a little bit uh, out of sorts because the film had collapsed and uh, it was a bit strange and nobody got paid and all of that. And um, I bumped into Barbara Broccoli, Uh, at a um, health club. And she did a double take because she didn't recognize me because I looked very different. I had my hair cut like a bob uh, because it was set in 1930s Berlin, Laugh in the Dark, Nabokov's novel. Um, uh, So uh, I looked very different. I'd lost a lot of baby fat. I just looked much more Slavic. Um, And um, she mentioned it to Gabi Broccoli and uh, John Glenn. And they decided to bring me in at Pinewood Studios to have an interview with them. And at the same time, United Artists has called them up because they were doing Bond at the time, it's not MGM or Sony. Um, and um, United Artists said, we've seen this girl in this film, uh, Laughed in the Dark, um, and she could very much well, you know, be rightful for, for the role in Bond in The Living Daylight. So I um, I was brought in met with Covey Broccoli, John Glenn. It was a very charming interview. And little did I know, um, I think a week later, I got the part. Um, they, uh, My agent called me up and uh, told me that I'd uh, gotten the role in the, the new James Bond uh, with uh, Pierce Bos- Brosnan uh, at the time. And uh, Pierce was uh, finishing this TV series he'd done, but uh, he got so much publicity for be- being the next new Bond that his uh, contract got renewed on the TV series in America. And so um, they approached Timothy Dalton, and Timothy um, said yes. They already had approached him a while back, uh, and he had said no, but this time he said yes, because they wanted to go back, back to a more classic, more, uh, uh, much more following Ian Fleming's novels. Um, and, um, and that was it. And in September, we started shooting, or was it end of September? And I did a lot of rehearsals, um, learning how to mime the pieces I had to do on the cello, because I was playing a cellist. Um, and so I had to mime all the pieces at Dvorak that I was uh, going to be uh, pretending to play. And they put dry uh, soap on the bow, so it takes off the, the sound, but I learned the movements. So I, was, I did four weeks of uh, of classes, of classes uh, of uh, private coaching with this lovely cellist teacher. And then I was also, uh, you know, learning how to horseback ride because I had a couple of scenes uh, on a horse in the film. And we started shooting, I think, yeah, mid-September. And we started shooting in Vienna the first two weeks. And Vienna was uh, representing Bratislava, which is where I came from. Mm -hmm. Uh, My character came from Karamilovi so and then from Vienna we went on to um, Morocco where we shot for uh, six weeks six seven weeks we were in Tangier and then in the desert in Wazazat. and then we came back we had Christmas break um, and then we were shooting at Pinewood Studios So we went for a week in Weissensee in the Austrian mountains to do all the sequence on the cheddar case sliding down the mountain which everybody who's seen the movie you know remembers and um, and then uh, we were shooting time the studios, all the interiors, and we finished, I think, end of February. Because it was five months shooting the entire film, and the film premiered in London, I think, at the beginning of June. We had a role premiere with Princess Diana and Prince Charles in the uh, the Odeon Leicester Square, and from there on, you know, I went touring around the world. Um, uh, doing publicity, um, uh, and then uh, for all the different premieres around the world. Um, so yes, it was quite a, quite a, quite a journey.
0: I actually watched yeah. the Leicester Square uh, Royal Premiere this morning on on YouTube. Actually, they they really went all he out did. for it, actually. Yeah, it was uh, it's quite a spectacle.
2: It is a spectacle, and it was a a very hot uh, evening. It was a heat wave. Going on in London, which is rare as we know <laughs>
3: mm-hmm, very much. And
2: um, I was wearing uh, a, a beautiful um, designer's dress, Emmanuel Ungaro, uh, but it was a very tight dress, it was like a sort of like a mermaid dress, very tight. And um, I was going to the premiere with Timothy Dalton, and I used to have a, a little house in Fulham in a very small street. So he came into the, one of the big uh, cars to pick me up that they had uh, organized uh, to pick up Timothy and then picked up me and he got stuck in terrible traffic, which there always is in Fulham in those small mm-hmm. streets. Um, and so we arrived running uh, late. And when we arrived uh, in Charing Cross Road, they wouldn't let us in with the car to drive in in front of uh, the Odeon in Leicester Square. Um, the policemen there, the bobbies, was saying, no, I'm afraid it's too late. You can't come through. Um, the royal family is coming, it's shut. <laughs> and Timothy was saying, but excuse me, but um, we are the actors in the film. And they said, yeah, yeah, I've uh, heard that before. And he said, no, actually, I'm I'm playing James Bond. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah and you're maybe George Lazenby. <laughs> um, and so Timothy just thought, okay, we're, we're not getting anywhere there. So he, we went out and uh, he grabbed me by by the hand and we we maneuvered through the crowds and I was in this dress that was so tight, uh, walking like a little Chinese uh, woman, you know, with little steps because I could barely sort of do big steps in this heat. Um, and we arrived uh, in front of the, the front doors of the Odin Leicester Square cinema and suddenly the, the crowds passed and they knew that it was us because obviously we were unknown, right? Um, and um, and then uh, we had uh, the whole arrival of the um, of uh, the, the the royal family and, we, you know, you're lined up and you have to say hello and all of that. And I had to go quickly to the loo and I had a problem with the dress because I had obviously with the heat, I'd swollen up and I couldn't put the dress back down. <laughs> so I was running late, but I made it up there. But it was quite funny. I have to say it was very comedic and I uh, was up there uh, in the lineup, you know, breathless. uh, And uh, recomposed myself uh, for when uh, Princess Diana and Charles uh, came and greeted us, all lined up. uh, You know, um, the lead uh, actors, um, the producers, the director, and uh, it was um, it was. We had the screening, and I was sitting next to Prince Charles in the screening um, of our premiere, and um, he kept asking me all these questions about. um, the stunts, which uh, um, I obviously did very few stunts, only in my scenes, uh, a couple of stunts, but uh, all the other stunts I couldn't answer for because I, had, I wasn't in the scenes So I was always a bit speechless saying, I don't know, I don't know, because he loved it. He loved seeing all those stunts, you know, and all those, the action going on. They famously I said, visited uh, the
0: set uh, for the film, and I think, uh, wasn't it Princess Diana who whacked him over the head with the, uh, the sugar bottle?
2: Exactly. It was a sugar bottle, mm. sugar bottle of champagne Um, uh, because they had a prop room right next door um, where they did all of these, you know, fun uh, little props. Um, And uh, yes, and um, uh, Diana, uh, yes, basically whacked uh, the the bottle, the sugar bottle on uh, Prince Charles' head. (laughs) We had stopped shooting for a couple of hours while they were visiting, but we were still in the middle of shooting at Pinewood.
1: I had a question about Barbara Broccoli. This is her first film as an associate producer. She would go on to become a producer. And when I look at the character of Kara, she's much more grounded than, you know, the bond female leads of the last handful of films. Was there any influence coming from Barbara in this producer role to help shape this character?
2: Uh, you mean to make the 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 the, the female characters more more real. Yeah. Uh, um is that what you're saying and, and less sort of the sort of cartoon like. Well, I did a I I did a a, a documentary uh, for AMC. A uh, cable network in the, in America called the Bond, Girl, Bond girls are forever,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it's it. That's the whole story: is the evolution of Bond girls from Ursula Andres to H- Halle Berry. Uh, when 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 I did this documentary film um, with John Watkins, who was a director, and I was producing it and co directing it with him, and um, basically um, uh, they the the producers always, you know, every time they would just deliver a script they would always try to mirror a little bit what was going on in society. Um, because you always have to keep up to date with the, how the world is going and turning around um, the relationship between Bond and, and, and the Bond girls um, and how the roles evolved over time. Uh, and that was my, um, my, um, my story because um, Judy Dench became M James Bond's boss. So she, you know, became, she had all the power because he had to follow, you know, her, her, her directions. Um, And um, they definitely always were trying to make the girl more real. Uh, You have the 60s, which was, you know, the Bond girls were like these action girls, you know, um, but there wasn't much in the character psychologically with, uh, in the relationship with Bond they were always very exotic and very beautiful you had some of the bond girls who had superpowers um you know um you think of pussy Galore on a black man you know she 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 had a whole team um and she had uh, she was you know an incredible judo um fighter and all of that and um yeah the rela- relationship between uh, bond and 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 those uh, those uh, bond girls uh, Either being villainess was always kind of you know very tongue in cheek, and then it got more edgy and more realistic. And I think it started changing for me. Well, after Octopussy with more um, um, Adams, where she had a big role, uh, she had the lead, and you know she appeared twice in two Bond movies, um, The Man with the Golden Gun, where she was the girlfriend of Christopher Lee. And she was very much victimized and a victim. And the the girls were always seen a bit like victims. Um, And all of that changed in in the writing of the roles. I would say I was just the beginning of it, the 80s, where my role had a bit more sensitivity. There was more of a relationship with James Bond. Um, She was a musician, so she was not some girl who had superpowers. She didn't know how to shoot a gun properly or anything like that. So there was a bit, a bit more of a of a of a realistic character, and then um, I think with Michelle Yeoh it started changing a lot um, for me anyway. And um, I thought she was fantastic as 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 a Bond girl, and in fact she's a much better fighter than uh, James Bond uh, was, Pierce Brosnan in 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 the role. But that's because you know they, they cast her because she was an expert at that. You know she was a big star in Asia, as you know. For all those, um, uh, was it kung fu fighting or whatever? She, you know, she was uh, a martial arts uh, mm. extraordinary character and um, and a very good actress. So they started evolving with, with Michelle Yeoh. That was the nineties, and then you had Halle Berry, who came along and who was much more challenging with Bond. Um, so it did start before uh, before these um, these ones with Daniel Craig. Um, you know, the Casino Royale, as you know, it's, uh, it's uh, taking, uh, doing a remake uh, of Casino Royale um, and that was from Ian Fleming's books. Then they started, you know, inventing the scripts um, and uh, um, there has been a, an evolution and certainly in the last two with Daniel Craig because um, uh, he has a, a proper relationship with this, this girl and she reappears in the second one in the last sort of swan song for uh, for Daniel Craig um and um i think uh, i think that's that's great i think it's 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 important that you know there's this evolution constant evolution and mirroring society um i do miss um certain characters uh, i loved um Judi Dench playing m mm-hmm. um i thought um, because it was also mirroring what was happening in MI5. Stella Remington, who became, you know, ahead head of MI5 in in, in London, and uh, and there was a lot of spunk to the dialogue, you know, and her relationship with 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 with, uh, with Bond, uh, very witty, um, and uh, certainly uh, real competition going on, you know, and um, I liked that sort of uh, um, personally that. Um, that sort of uh, energy that was going on between, uh, you know, like the way Bond used to flirt with with, uh, Miss Moneypenny, you know? Um, And I felt in this new Bond film, which much more of an edgy, serious Bond film, but an homage to a lot of the old Bond movies. um, I thought Daniel Craig's uh, uh, role was uh, much fuller. And that's not only Barbara. Um, Of course, Barbara has a huge influence on making the women's roles um, stronger um but it's also daniel craig who i think um, came along more and more as a collaborator um uh, you know uh, as his character was evolving for he did what three four bonds so and in his last one obviously this this big relationship he has with this 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 woman who's a daughter of a scientist and and um uh emmanuel uh, uh you know lea sedu is is a, is a is uh, great um i i think i missed a bit more humor maybe
3: mm-hmm. in, in
2: their relationship maybe um but you know it's a generational thing you know every sure. time i meet somebody uh, who's seen a bond movie you know if they're in their 60s they say oh i loved you know uh, uh sean connery uh if they're in their 50s or 40s 40s they'll say oh i loved pierce brosnan you know or roger moore you know so it's really a generational thing, uh, I think uh, there is no right. And what's marvellous is that, you know, you have this series where you do have the choice.
0: <laughs> well, you, you mentioned Michelle Yeoh before. I, I'm not sure you give yourself credit enough there, because I think the change really started with you in terms of the the more progressive female. character. I think my in, my in my, my
2: character was more human. Yeah, more human. Definitely. Yeah. It was just very naive, but did you know anything about the, you know, the world of uh, spies and uh, secret agents and all of that? So she was extremely innocent in in that way. She was mm. a musician, you know. She she was she didn't have any. Uh, she was not the daughter of a scientist, or you know what I mean. So she had no yeah. none of that um, narrative with her. So she was extremely, yeah, she was extremely naive, and she fell in love with Bond, you know. So well, who he, he was uh, not only you know. Exactly, handsome and all of that. But he also he brought her to the West, for her to have a career. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, What as a was musician. so that was an important factor.
0: If we're looking at the the, the character then of, of Cara, what was the difference between what you were initially pitched towards, what actually you ended up on the screen? What did you help develop that character into? Because I think I, I, from what I've read, you played a strong part in this, and of course, you then went on to do the documentary as well. So you clearly care about this aspect of of the Bond world. So. How did you help craft that character, and how did it change?
2: No, well, I, I never changed the script. I didn't, there was no improv or anything like that. There was no. It was the script was as is, mm. um, and what you see on the screen is the script. Um, so I had, that was never never altered in any way. Um, so I sort of just tried to make it my own. Um, of course, I had um, a wonderful. Um, uh, dialogue, this wonderful dialect coach in Washington who was uh, helping me do this sort of Czechoslovakian accent that was audible, understandable for the American market you know, as mm-hmm. opposed to a very strong Czech accent but um, I just kept thinking I've got to make her human I've got to make her real and, and, and in the moment um, uh, and uh, I, so that's really what I worked on, making her as human as possible and uh responding how would this character respond in crazy situations of you know car chases you know being shot at and all of that so that's, it was you know that's that that's background work for an actor so um but i just made a as 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 human and as uh, um as uh, uh uh what's the word um very um uh, alive you know
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really notable to me how there's like a very sincere romance to this movie. It's like quite, you know, like poignant and touching at points. And I would just love to know about working with Dalton to make this relationship really work in a massive scale movie surrounded by, you know, all the action, all the locations, all that sort of stuff.
2: Well, Timothy Dalton, um, uh, you know, is a real pro, uh, number one. He's done a lot of theater, He's been in, he was in a lot of, you know, classic uh, TV films, um, that were made, you know, in, in his day. Um, and he did theater. So he was a real, uh, he was a very generous man to work with very generous actor. And, uh, we were, I, I have to say he was a huge support, um, huge support, uh, because, um, it was intimidating at the beginning, you know, filming on uh, with such a big machine. And, um, we were, we certainly, um, there was, uh, I think a good chemistry going on, uh, uh, on screen between us. And, um, I can only say good things about working with Timothy. He really is a pro, um, and did everything to help me when I was a little bit, you know, at a loss, um, in certain scenes, um, to make the scene good and work, you know? So, uh, i'm very very happy that i i did it with timothy you know he was my bond i guess you know
3: mm-hmm.
2: so uh and all of those scenes um you're talking about the romantic scenes we tried to make them as as real and as human as possible about two people you know who find themselves in a completely mad situation but there's this chemistry and they she falls for him you know and uh he knows he's james bond and he can't get attached to anybody yet um uh, he's moved by her and i think uh you know Timothy um having the background uh, uh, as an actor that he has um you know brought um, brought his sensitivity to the role when it was needed um in our scenes uh, you know and uh he was absolutely um great I mean I, I really really uh, uh take my hat off uh, um, for Timothy who was not I think Timothy um had really fun um playing Bond, you know um, because it was a challenge for him. But I think what he did not have fun was the aftermath after um, the, the the filming was finished was doing all the press. That was not really his thing. And he's quite low key. Um, and um, it was not his thing being propels as a sex symbol and a, a sort of sex star and, and doing all this press around the world. That was not really his his thing. But um, working together was uh, very special uh, and will always be a a lovely memory. And um, it was a very happy uh, uh, filming or shoot Mm. for all of us. You know, the the, the crew became a big family because we were on charter planes all together, flying to Morocco, then flying to Austria, or, you know, when we went to Vienna. So we got to know each other all very well. Um, And there was a real trust, uh, which is also thanks to Cubby Broccoli, uh, um, who was a wonderful producer, and he certainly produced the film that I did. I think I can say this was the last film that he properly produced because then on the one in Mexico that he did with Timothy, he was ill mm-hmm. um, and started being ill. And uh, it was much harder for them to shoot in Mexico City with the pollution, with the studios, the communication, the Spanish you know, and all of that. I think it was much more challenging for them. And on our film, of course, it's always a challenge for them making a Bond film. It's not easy. Um, Don't think it's all glamorous and fun. It's a lot of hard work. You can imagine all the obstacles for the producers, you know, when we were doing all the the shooting in Morocco, um, bringing in all these guns, you know, by plane and all of that. You can imagine the paperwork, the this, the that, you know. So um, it was uh, uh, complicated, but we had, we really, it was a very happy film set really was and John Glenn very easygoing as a director very experienced because he'd done uh, quite a few Bond movies with Roger Moore Um, he before had worked as an assistant editor um, with um, David Lean Um, and um, he understood how to cut a movie so when he was doing all the action sequences he knew exactly where he was going to cut so you know there was a real professionalism and a real yeah, it was really rolling. It was great. It was great. And uh, we also had a lot of fun, you know, in the evenings when you're stuck in the desert, you know, and there were a lot of like, fun moments um, with all of us. Um, And Tangier was fabulous. But it was it was complicated for the the producers because uh, we were shooting in Morocco. And you can imagine uh, all the 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 stuff they had to deal with, you know, to uh, to shoot there, and get permission and this and that. But um, on the whole, anybody you can ask who was on The Living Daylights, they had a really, really good time.
0: We, we spoke with um, John Glenn recently, actually. He did mention working with you, and, and, and it's kind of the reason why I actually originally got in contact to, to speak to you. It's kind of how I worked my way here. But um, speaking of what you just said as well, and he spoke quite highly of the set and enjoying the production of Living Daylights, is there any stories that stick out to you of just from making the film, any particular moments that you think back on fondly?
2: Um, Well, I do remember, (laughs) I remember, um, you know, because I I had to learn how to horseback ride and I had this beautiful white Arabic horse. And I remember the the horses were all coughing a lot. There was this coughing virus going around uh, amongst the horses. Anyway, these gorgeous Arabic horses, and mine was uh, white with a long crane, just gorgeous. And uh, um, for us to sort of get, you know, a hang with with those horses and, and get to know them, we went um once or twice um riding in the desert uh with the stunt men. Um and um I was the only girl, so I loved it. I was like Loris of Arabia, there I was with all the stuntmen, uh, uh Art Malik, Timothy Dalton, you know, it was just fantastic. And we'd go galloping in the desert and I um I absolutely uh loved it. It was just such a a moment of joy and beauty because we came back at sunset and the, the sunsets and the dawns uh in the, in, in Morocco in the desert were just mind blowing. So we had to get up at five in the morning, sometimes 4.30 because you know um, daylight was very early. 4.30 in the morning to go into the makeup bus. Um, but um it was absolutely stunning and um, I do remember um the crew um the crew were complaining about um Moroccan food when we were in the desert. You didn't have much choice. You were not in a hotel, you know. I mean, there was a hotel, but it was very limited. And I think the the crew were getting a a bit of a stomach problems, all of them. Um, And so uh, Gabby Broccoli um, uh, had uh, flown over from Italy some pasta. And Barbara Broccoli um, took over the kitchens um, with a couple of others who helped her um, to make pasta for the whole crew one evening. And that was a lot of fun. It's great you can imagine how they were so happy to have you know as far as they're concerned normal food <laughs> so there, there was a no there was a real camaraderie and a real uh it was really nice very very nice
1: i would love to know if you've noticed a difference in how living daylights is received then versus now
2: well first of all it's slightly politically incorrect <laughs> um because at the time um the russians occupied uh, afghanistan and mm-hmm. uh the Mujahideens, who were not necessarily all Taliban's, but some were at the time, were being glorified because they were helping the West, right,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, under the Russian occupation. So that's kind of changed today radically. So if you watch, if you watch the living daylights, I'm like, oh my god, you know, <laughs> um, especially that now today, you have, everything has to be politically correct, whatever you say, and all of that. People are very sensitive. Um, but when i i watched it there was a um, um after 37 years how many years has it been now since 1987 oh, um,
0: 34 yeah. because i was born that year
2: so after 27 years you were born that year right
3: <laughs> sorry
2: um, after 27 <laughs> years <laughs> after 27 years um We, uh, they was Pinewood organised a special screening with cast and crew uh, and a meal and everything. So I haven't seen it obviously until um, twenty-seven after twenty-seven years. And I have to say, I was watching it um, with all this hindsight and uh, laughing my head off. (laughs) I just thought my character was actually at times a bit silly with some of my naive questions. Uh, it was quite funny. And I, I enjoyed the bantering that went on with Timothy, you know, and when I would say to Timothy, when we were out of the prison cell, um, you know, uh, when we got out of the prison cell in, uh, in which is supposed to be Afghanistan, I say, we're free, we're free. And he looks at me and says, we're in the middle of a Russian, you know, base, but <laughs> <We're> not free. <laughs> so there were some really funny yeah, I mean, I, I I I laughed a lot, I have to say. I really did. It made me laugh a lot. I thought there was a lot of funny things in it. And uh, I loved, I absolutely loved the music that John Barry did
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, to uh, our film. In fact, I think it was the best Bond music that he did, John Barry. Uh, and my favourite of all the <laughs> Bond films, I think it was because it was jazzed up, you know, mm-hmm. but he still had the Bond theme. And then I loved Trissy Hines um uh love song um that she 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 wrote the lyrics but john barry was inspired by our love scenes and so he wrote this 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 composed this music for our our love scenes and so i loved that song that uh chrissy hines sings if there was a man you know i can't mm-hmm. sing but um <laughs> I, de- I really did and so i was transported by the music i thought all the stuff in the fun fair in vienna was uh you know hilarious and obviously sort of an homage to the third man in bits um mm-hmm. uh and um i loved seeing the villains you know and um yorub krabi and Jodon baker and, and art malik playing the very very handsome Mujahideen. um and um and i i actually you know i really liked timothy in it um i thought he had a uh he'd found an integrity in bond you know he, he brought a different bond you know every every actor that's played James Bond has brought their own, you know, into the, the character. And I, I, I know he was criticised a lot by people who wanted more humour, but now when you look at it, it's full of humour compared mm. to the ones today, you know, mm-hmm. I find that now it's so so witty. Uh, but in, in those days, when the film came out, it was not as witty as uh, under Roger Moore, you know, obviously, because Roger Moore, you know, played so much on his brilliant wit that he had.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, yeah, I didn't uh, I, I had a good time watching it. I had a good time. And obviously as an actor, you are always thinking, oh, my God, I could redo the scene, you know?
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, going back and watching it again. I want to touch on the Bongos Girls of Forever documentary in a second, but I did have one final living daylights question. And that is obviously you revisited it on the 27th anniversary. Looking back on it now, what are you most proud of about the film?
2: You mean as far as scenes or as the film in itself?
0: Whatever springs to mind for you, what are you most proud
3: of about it?
2: Um, I'm proud because it's uh, it definitely takes you, uh, you definitely travel in these great locations. Um, I think um, I'm really proud of, um, I really, really loved the music in the film. Mm-hmm. Loved it uh how did the intro but I, I really responded to the music in the film and i still i still get goosebumps when i hear it you know um i'm proud to have worked with timothy dalton um because i uh i i personally liked the the bond that he he brought to the screen um and i do like our one or two love scenes together and i think they're charming mm. um and i'm proud of them the fantasy, uh, it, it still has, you know. I di- It's not a dull bond. You know what I mean?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's not. You don't have a dull moment, um, and it moves. And I think that's also thanks to John Glenn, the way he sort of, you know, the, put it together. You know, he's, uh, he's he, he knows about how to make these scenes move along, uh, uh, and then have some scenes, you know, in repose. So I, I loved also. I loved. Um, the costumes were fabulous and uh, I loved uh, you know the fact that we didn't have a BMW yet (laughs) we were still on a Aston (laughs) Martin you know so I'm proud that we had our cue our wonderful cue Desmond who uh, for me you know he was the original from the beginning Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, he's he that was great and I loved all his little gadgets that he brought to the screen as sort of so there's a lot there's a lot of things you know i can't remember who m was i do not even think m appeared in our one movie yeah
1: it was robert it brown to have
2: had judy dench what
1: robert brown
2: was m oh robert brown see i can't even remember that i'm ashamed to say um but i haven't seen it in uh in uh 20 years since you know when i had to how long it's been um but um yeah I think I, I'm proud of the fact that it's not dull um, and it's very entertaining um, and that it has a charm. Great.
3: I completely and agree. I, yeah. I have
2: to say, you know, um, John Barry, uh, John Barry's input in this film for me was, was great. Really mm. great.
0: We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Independent podcasting much like the spy game, requires considerable resources. Whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course, constructing a top-secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right, as you may know, we've activated
1: the Spy Hearts Patreon, home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes, where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil exposition briefing.
0: Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month?
1: Yes, Dirty Harry is live and we are finishing the Star Wars prequels with Revenge of the
0: Sith. Hopefully it's more yes than no. And if that sounds delicious, then become a true spy hard today and join the circus at Patreon.com slash spyhards. But, before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. Um, now, I appreciate your time is short. I did just want to touch on the Bond Girls of Forever documentary, because yeah. I recently revisited it, actually. And I actually watched an updated version than the one I saw originally years ago. Um yeah. Now, the whole phrase Bond Girls seems to be somewhat taboo in ways at the moment, it feels like. It seems like we're moving away from that. And then you were... You were quite hold fast in the documentary that you think it's something to be proud of. And I agree with that personally. What is your take on the Bond girl phenomenon now and, and maybe looking forward?
2: Well, you know, it's quite funny because you remember when I interviewed Judy Dench, she was absolutely brilliant in the interview. Mm-hmm. I interviewed her twice. And I said, Would you be, like to be called a Bond girl or a Bond woman? She said, Oh, no, a Bond girl, a Bond girl, you know. Um, and so I thought that's sort of for me encapsulated the spirit, because there she was playing a heavyweight character, James Bond's mm. boss, and she wanted to be a, considered a Bond girl, not a Bond woman. So she encompasses the spirit uh, uh, of how I sort of relate to to us having been, you know, Bond girls and were part of the club. I think the Bond women came along with um, Halle Berry, uh, and I think maybe it's more literal, you know, in America bond women because they've got more weight more gravitas um and they're not just bimbos around the pool in their bikinis so i think he was trying to get away from that and that Mm -hmm. was the evolution and i i respect that completely totally Mm -hmm. um and that's fine but for me bond girl brings in the humor the humor and the spirit of how bond started um i totally agree that at one point, the roles, especially with Maud Adams, um, she, when she's um, with Christopher Lee and he hits her with the golden gun, and then uh, Roger Moore slaps her, you know, in Octopussy. Uh, and Maude Adams does talk about the seventies period where, you know, women were more victimized. And I do get her point very strongly. I understand that. And so I think there was a reaction against that, which happened uh, in the 90s, um, you know, the late 80s and 90s, where women were more feisty and could fight for themselves, you know, and hold their own ground. So that's how Bond women gain, you know, the the title of Bond women.
1: Yeah. Right. Now, we always like, when we close off our interviews, we want to thank you so much for your time today. We always like to ask, we like to always ask, you know, the person we're interviewing, what one of their favorite spy movies is. We are a spy movie podcast. We're talking about Bond, but is there any spy movies that jump to mind that were influential for you or ones you really hold dear?
2: Oh, well, The Third Man. Right. I mean, it's just not a spy movie, but it is about the Cold War mm-hmm. and it is about Vienna being cut into pieces um, and about all this, you know, illegal stuff going on. It has that sort of aspect. The man who came from the cold um, mm-hmm. with uh, Richard Burton, a fantastic film, you know, from John McCary's book. Um, so, and I grew up obviously in the Cold War because I was born in 1960. Mm-hmm. So I used to love watching spy movies. Um, and, uh, but there, that's what initially comes to my mind. The Third Man will always remain for me a great classic. And The Man, man Who Came From the Cold was uh, such an interesting film because it was, to show how spies suddenly are just replaceable, you know, and it's, it's such a lonely world being a spy in those days. Um, so it was a very strong film for me um, uh, when Richard Burton did it um, and the book. Um, but uh, I can't think off of my hand of other, you know, great spy classics, but obviously John McCarry wrote quite a few of them.
1: You know, those are both fantastic picks and i think ones that listeners to our show are big fans of as well
2: yeah and you know um uh what was interesting about um the third man which is not a spy movie but it is about the corruption in vienna and it is about an investigator friend who's investigating about his friend harry lyme played by um, joseph cotton who's investigating on on austin wells what what's happened to him you know so there is that spy cold war elements you know um and um the music is fantastic in that film um but it was written the screenplay was written by graham green
3: mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. grew
2: up on gram on reading graham green's novels you know um uh and he covered that also you know um so it uh yeah it would always remain in my uh in my computer <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think we recently spoke about i think ministry of fear was a Graham oh, green computer. yeah
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah, um, well, you are maybe the best person to ask. But we also talk about Bond films from time to time. Um, now you obviously acted against Timothy dawson But who is your Bond that you would go to if you were ever going to watch a Bond?
2: If I was going to go and watch a Bond movie now,
3: yeah, and, and who? Not, what actor would you go for? It's not
2: so much about who is my Bond, but which mm-hmm. is the best movie. Okay, for me, sure, best storytelling for me. Um, because I think every Bond brought in their own quality, um, you know, and some of their films were better than others. I mean, you know, Sean Connery, of course, was the macho, you know, visceral Bond, um, mm-hmm. which Ian Fleming had never written him like that. So he was not very keen on having Sean Connery to begin with, I think he wanted Roger Moore, um, and then totally uh, uh, responded to Cubby Broccoli's choice. Um, and so Sean Connery, you know, Dr. No or Thunderbolt, uh, these are sort of classics. I think those two I really enjoyed um very much. Um, I love the one with Michelle yo Um, is it Tomorrow Never Dies? Mm-hmm. I'm blanking now. Um, and then I love the one with Pierce Brosnan and uh Judy Dench, where she calls him a dinosaur renegade of the of the 80s. Um which one was that? Goldeneye. Goldeneye I the titles. Goldeneye. I I like very much. Um, and then I think Daniel is a very strong contemporary bond. And I think after nine eleven, it was very much Barbara Broccoli uh, and Michael Wilson who was supporting the idea of bringing an unknown. Well, mm-hmm. and he was not a star at the time. He was he was a, a known working actor in England and a very good one. Mm-hmm. Um and um, they really fought for him with the studios and uh, they won. And I understood, I mean, where they were coming from. And there's a lot to do with Barbara Rockley, um, because after 9/11, one whole's perception had changed, and you could not have, you know, tongue in cheek lightweight stuff. So they had to bring much more edge, um, to the 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 character, um, to the storytelling. Um, and Bond had to be much more of a uh, a killer, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But he, but for His Majesty's service, always, you know. <laughs> but uh, much more of an edgy, realistic, yeah. uh, grounded part. And I think uh, Daniel Craig obviously has done so well. You know, he, the response to um, most of the Bond movies that he did were huge success the only one that was not a success was quantum solace but then it wasn't a a very good movie Mm -hmm. Uh, you know so you always go by if, if if an actor you know first of all gets is well cast and daniel craig was very well cast in playing bomb and he delivered beautifully but when he was in a really strong movie like casino royale you know it was fantastic you know
0: well, um, we're wrapping up now, but I do just want to ask, is there any plans for you to update the Bond Girls of Forever documentary now we've had, you know, Bond's first kid and things like that?
2: You mean if there's going to be any new girls updated in the documentary?
0: Absolutely.
2: No, I don't No, You know, we did update it. Um, mm-hmm. We updated it uh, after the original um, uh, film uh, documentary uh, when it premiered uh, at the Hamptons Film Festival and on ANC cable network. And then we updated it uh, with um, a couple of the of the Bond girls from the following um, films. And then it's kind of it loses its. Um, I mean, I would have to we would have to have the finance to re-edit the whole thing and update the whole documentary because mm-hmm. it was made at a certain time for you know a certain television broadcaster. And I would completely change it now and make it more edgy. Uh mm. but then you I need, you know, I'd need the money to be able to completely uh re- look at it again and mm. update it in a different way and not just keep adding stuff, you know. Um mm-hmm. so because documentaries now uh yeah, it would be a much edgier documentary, I think, and uh with more realism. And of course the actresses are very important uh, uh in the film because they're really telling their experience and through their experience you're experiencing what it was like in that time to play Von girl and how the parts that evolved and that was the key to my documentaries celebrating um the women um uh, and some who you know could not have a career after or some who didn't have a career because they didn't want to because they were not they were acting in bond but not in another um also you have to see that the whole period until my until carrie lowell who was with timothy in the second bond we were all unknown mm-hmm. and then they cast stars to play uh the the, the bond woman the bond woman <laughs> and I say. do you know what i mean they were not yeah. unknown actresses yeah so it completely is now taken a new spin um so it's 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 different and uh Of course, I would redo it with pleasure. I had so much pleasure um, spending time with the actresses, finding out what their experience was. And I would redo it completely and make it uh, more real, more contemporary in a way, because I had to fit in a slot of 52 minutes, you know, for AMC. And so it was done in a certain rhythm with all these commercial breaks (laughs) that we had to figure out. So now I would like to do a, a proper film, documentary film, a feature documentary film on the Bond girls. You know, that would be great. And you go more in depth, you know, uh, with how the roles evolved in the scripts, what, you know, the, uh, yeah, it would be really great actually to do that, but it would have to do the whole thing and I'd need money, <laughs> mm. you know, I'd need a, a a budget of half a million to do it.
3: <laughs> well.
0: You know now Amazon owns all of this, uh, maybe there's a chance, and I couldn't think of a better person to lead it than you.
2: You're so nice to say that, yeah, maybe they need a maybe we got to see who's going to be what's going to be the next bond movie and then maybe it might be interesting yeah, um, is... to them yeah you know.
0: i want I want to thank you, Mary, for taking the time to speak to us before thank you, you, you leave us before you leave us, is there anything you're working on at the moment you want to talk about or any causes you're passionate about you want to just shout out on the show
2: so and films you know, they come and go, I don't know so We'll see, see. And I'm also uh, putting together a documentary because I've, I've produced a couple of documentaries since on Girls Are Forever. Mm-hmm. One on female war reporters, again on women. Then one on surviving uh, brain uh, hemorrhages because I had a brain hemorrhage in 2007. So it's about the survivors' uh, stories. And uh, now I'm putting a, a documentary together. It's going to take a few years about the Georgian migration because I'm half Georgian. Mm-hmm. And it's about this first migration in 1920s, but it is also universal topic because it's about migration in the province today and all of that. So it's, but that's a long project. So there we are. And if, I'm, cool. if, I, play J- if I play James Bond's uh, grandmother, <laughs> <laughs> next time I'll let you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Miriam, unless you have anything left to declare, um, we want to thank you for joining us thank on the show. Thank you.
2: Thank yeah, you it's so been a much real for pleasure. having me. Okay. Take
0: care. Bye. Take care. All the best.
2: Bye.
0: And there you go. That was our chat with Miriam Dabo. Again, I want to thank her for taking the time to speak to us today. It was a cold and dreary day in London, but she certainly brightened our skies. Definitely. And I rewatched
1: the living daylights the night before we did this interview. And it was really interesting to hear her talk about the evolution of the Bond girl character, Because Kara really does feel very different when you measure her against a lot of the women who appeared in the um, Moore era. I look at maybe one of the ones that I was writing notes um, comparing her to in some ways was Carol Bouquet in For Your Eyes Only. Mm -hmm. It felt like one who was very much with him throughout for the action, which wasn't the case for a lot of them. I think Maude Adams is great in Octopussy, but she's often removed because of just her place in the story, whereas Kara feels so central to everything that's going on. And I don't know that that was a particularly common thing going on with those Roger Moore films.
0: And, you know, I think she didn't give herself enough credit. And I pointed it out in the interview. I think the change to Dalton made a, a shift, a seismic shift in the Bond world. And I think having a more serious Bond allowed them to have more serious Bond girls. And I'm using that phrase because she approves of it Bond girls. And her character, I mean, we were given a bunch of questions by our listeners on on Twitter, and I'm sorry we didn't get time to talk about those questions, because they were great questions. But, you know, one of them said, I think it was John, said, you know, she is the first Bond woman to really be with him throughout the film, and not really have any other particular love interest. You could say the lady in Gibraltar at the start, but really, Cara is the main focus in this film.
1: Yeah, no, that's very true. Like, the movie really does focus on that character a lot, and It's something I didn't really get a chance to talk to her about, but I really um, appreciate when I watch the film. Her character could be portrayed as, like, so dim. Like, she's Mm -hmm. very naive. You see she's been misled by Koskoff through the movie. You know, she thinks she's in love with Koskoff, and that's what basically kicks off the whole story. And it's a character that could easily just be portrayed as just hopelessly naive, like a character you're rolling your eyes at. But there's like an actual strength and an agency to that character that emerges throughout the course of the film. Like it feels like they're evolving her throughout the course of the movie, which is not super common. It did happen. It's not like this was the first time, but it does feel different in it
0: in the way they handle it than the past. And, and also, you know, you talk about the living daylights and a lot of people say, you know, Goldeneye was the first post-Cold War Bond film. And it, it technically was, more or less. But, you know, this is in my earliest memory, the one to deal with the Cold War more, like it was a defecting spy and things like that. I think they were more just the USSR earlier on.
1: Yeah, Um. and she talked about how they really wanted to take it back to Fleming for this one. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, like a lot of those Cold War tropes were like so crucial to those stories and it's there in the early Conneries but not with the seriousness you get here, like Living Daylight's feels much more of an intense, serious film in a lot of ways. And I just don't think in many ways audiences were ready for it at the time. It's why I think it has so much of a resurgence in more recent years where a lot of Bond fans look at it with far more shining light. Like they really do hold it up quite high as an example of one that would lead into the Craig era. I do think it's fascinating, though. She talked about how you know Pierce Brosnan was originally going to play Bond in this movie. It would have been just interesting to see Pierce Brosnan in a much more serious Cold War spy film? Because he, ha- you know, his era has its own unique feel. It- his movies
0: don't feel like this. No. I mean, we'll get around to tackling the Dalton films at some point down the road. And I'm looking forward to going back and really diving into them. But I, I from what I've read about this film, it was a lot of Timothy Dalton pushing for the more literary Bond, the Fleming Bond. And so... I think having Brosnan on the project, and especially coming off of Remington Steel, which is a, a light comedy, uh, I think he would have had a bit more... I think he would have had a bit more yucking it up, to be honest with you. I think this film would be slightly more comedic. And it, this is not licensed to Kill. This is not as a somewhat dour film. This is full of comedic bits. So I, I actually think he would have had more comedy in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember interviews with Dalton where like, it, they said he like read all the books and everything and really came in prepared... To tackle the literary roots of Ian Fleming. I don't know that many past Bond actors had done that. I don't know that George Lazenby was going in being like, I've read all the books, and guys, I have some ideas.
0: (laughs) Kilts. Kilts of my idea. Um, Yeah. But we're, we're, we're digressing off of the Lady of the Hour, Mariam, of course. And not only, obviously, we've mentioned that, you know, Kara was such a strong character in the film. Also, you you have to think Mariam had a, a lasting impression on the Bond franchise in a way, not only with the documentary, but I think you look at Natalia, for instance, in Goldeneye. A lot of Natalia you can see in Kara.
1: Definitely, and also the way that they deal more seriously with the romance in this movie, that was obviously to do with the AIDS crisis at the time. They wanted a more monogamous Bond, um, but you see how the relationship he has with Kara on screen feeds into how they handle relationships going forward. Like, I think, you know, we talked about how much we loved Bond and Natalia together in Goldeneye. But I think it's, like, the relationship with Bond and Kara here that gives them the confidence to tell these types of stories and to continue to evolve them. Until we get to, like, the Kragger, you've got characters like Vesper and Madeline Swan in those relationships. So, like, Kara to me feels like, in some ways leading into that sort of you know handling of those relationships
0: yeah i mean you're right on on our patreon uh exclusive patreon.com slash spyhards we have a film commentary for goldeneye and we spent a lot of time talking about our our love for the natalia character but just going back and revisiting the living daylights for this interview i was struck just by some of the similarities. so I, i maybe should have tipped my hat more in that film commentary just about the sort of line the beeline from one to the other definitely you should have scott yeah, and I'm embarrassed you didn't. It's all on me. But um, <laughs> the other thing as well to 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 say about Mariam is, you know, you've got uh, people talk a lot about this serious Timothy Dalton Bond and Shakespearean actor. Da da, da da. It's there. It's clearly that is him. But they needed to find an actor to play against him, and to and to have a chemistry with him, and that's a tough find. And I think they nailed it with Mariam. I think she came in strong. She knew what she wanted, and she knew who the character was. And that allowed her to relax into creating this, uh, because she said in the interview, it was a very relaxed set. They had some great moments. She's told some great stories about, you know, the film premiere and, you know, riding around the deserts with, with Dalton and, and, and Malik as well. Lovely, lovely memories of the set. There was no tension by the sounds of it. It was a, a, it was a very nurturing set allowed them to really explore the characters and find what they wanted. And it's a tall order to find someone to stand up against Timothy Dalton. And, it's, it's rare that you find someone so good out out the gate.
1: And their chemistry is really strong in the movie. And this was Dalton's first Bond film. That's a lot of pressure on him. A lot of moving parts going on all around him. It could have been overwhelming to the point where he would be in a zone of like, I just got to focus on my performance. I just have to be able to land this okay. Versus like really collaborating with her to get this sort of romance across. But they really have genuine chemistry. and. It's something that, I mean, I don't know, like, how many, you know, scenes of genuine chemistry did Roger Moore have with the various Bond girls in his era? Not that many, really. Not like this. Like, there's a tenderness to this relationship that I think really works. And I think a lot of that comes from just the way that um, Miriam projects, like, the vulnerability of that character. So it was really interesting just to hear her talk about finding that sort of... um, you know, that sort of central romance amidst a gigantic
0: production happening all around them. Now, what listeners don't know is you do a lot of research for these interviews, and so do I, but you also watched her first ever film, and we didn't get a chance to talk to her about it, so maybe just share your thoughts on "Extro." Yeah, "Extro" is a 1982 sci-fi horror film that she
1: appeared in, and I will say narratively, pretty messy um it kind of goes all over the place but in terms of like 80s prosthetic effects and body horror and um kind of a very dark riff on the et kind of concept where you have um sort of this extraterrestrial invasion happening towards a family in crisis it really examines that in like a horror movie way so it's a very interesting movie i think it's aged you know, questionably in a lot of ways, but in terms of, like, gooey practical effects and atmosphere, it still does hold up pretty well. And uh, what is Mariam's role in the film? She plays, um, basically, uh, the maid, I guess, or uh, she lives with the central character and her son and helps look after the son. I don't know what the exact role would that would be. Maybe a bit, bit of a nanny.
0: Sure. Okay. No dinosaurs, though.
1: No, and she um, is turned into an incubator for some sort of alien eggs at a certain point in the movie. Well, that's a turn. It is a turn, indeed. Uh, Kara did not go down that road, thankfully.
0: No, no, thankfully. And, you know, of course, Mariam helped create the Bond Girls of Forever documentary that's had two versions out there now, where she sort of charts the course of the Bond Girl phenomenon, and speaks to a lot of the actors involved. You know, all the way back from Ursula Andrus, she's spoken to all the way up to Halle Berry, Judy Dench, Sophia Mar um She's spoken to a lot of the a lot of the seminal Bond girls. It's a really fascinating documentary, and I was glad to get a chance to speak to her about it. We were very short on time, so I would like to have dived into it a bit more. But you know, she's she's very open to uh, doing an update, and I think the update is due. Actually,
1: yeah, I mean, I remember watching this documentary back in two thousand two. Seen it a couple times, and I would like to see it, you know, evolve into something else in the future. Uh, she talked about how unless they got money, you know, probably unlikely, but it does feel like a fun work in progress to continue to examine with each new era because I think the perception of what a Bond girl is changes pretty drastically with every
0: passing era of an actor. Yeah, I mean, we've just gone through the era where Bonds had a kid and been blown up. Yeah. And there's a female 007. I mean, this is way past the release of No Time to Die, so we can say that out loud now. That feels nice. But, you know, well, we did briefly speak to her about the whole Bond girl and her thoughts on it because, you know, some people now are kind of against the phrase and they find Bond girl to be a bit dismissive and derogatory towards women. But it's, it's nice to know that the people that actually played the characters don't have the same feelings. Yeah, I mean, Judy Dench, stamp of approval right there, I guess. What more do you need? Right. And and then finally, we uh, spoke to her about, you know, her favorite spy films. And she actually went off of the, the beaten track. She went down Lacare. She mentioned the spy who came in from the cold and the third man, which we would count as a spy film. Mm-hmm. We will be tackling that in the future. I am looking
1: forward to um, doing the third man. And of course, it's notable that um, the Living Daylights features an homage to the third man. So, yeah. It all
0: just comes around in one neat and tidy circle. Definitely. That's better. Cam, what do we have next week? Yes, we are tackling
1: the 1981 Donald Sutherland thriller, Eye of the Needle.
0: Yeah, this is not one I've seen before, but uh, to start this new 100, we just celebrated our first 100, but to start this next chapter on Spy Hearts podcast, we thought, hey, let's do what we do best. Go a little bit obscure and try and find an interesting film that may have been forgotten about. I'm looking forward to checking out this film and I hope you all are too. Your mission then, should you choose to accept it, is to watch Eye of the Needle from 1981 and join us next week. If you enjoyed what you heard on this podcast, if you love hearing interviews with Bond stars and directors, screenwriters, anything like that, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts or Just tell your friends. And uh, don't forget to follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, Cam.
3: Do you have anything to declare?